0: you've read scripture a passage jumping out at you or a few passages if you're like me occasionally it happens and i'm sure you have too and so that's what we're going to focus on this morning some parts of scripture that jumped out paul wrote the book of philippians when he was in jail He wasn't downcast. His focus was on Christ. His whole being was focused on Christ. He was focused on God's goodness and God's total control despite the circumstances that he was facing, despite what might happen, despite what people might think looking on. If you're like me, when our thoughts focus on what we see, we can easily lose focus on God's goodness, on God's power, on God's control. We can be so aware of our own failures and our weaknesses and disappointments that we don't draw near to God. But sometimes we keep our distance from him feeling that we're not good enough or we've done something and we don't feel comfortable. But that's a lie. The truth is that we can never come to God on the basis of our own worth. We must always come on the basis of what Jesus has done. It's Jesus' righteousness. His total obedience as we've sung to his father when he was here on earth that opens the door to us into God's presence. It's Jesus' love that enables us to enjoy all the blessings that he alone deserves because we are in Christ. Apostle Paul wrote Philippians 121. For me... To live is Christ and to die is gain. What a focus that is. To understand where he's coming from, we'll also focus on his inspiring words in Ephesians 1, which shine amazing light on what's true, what God has put in place, how we should see him and ourselves as we live in response to his incredible love. Did you notice that Paul's statement there is like an equation? I didn't do a lot of maths, but in the maths I did, and we got to equations, one side equals the other. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Consider for a moment what you focus on in your everyday life. What do you value in life? And what's its value when your days on earth will be finished? For me to live is, and to die is. How would you complete it? What do we really value? Maybe you would say, my family that's a worthy value being healthy and fit and making an effort to continue being so or reading and learning perhaps to graduate or perhaps to better understand the world I live in or enjoying the comfortable life that I've created or I'm striving hard to create but when we think about it how do they fit into this equation For me to really live is to enjoy my family but then I realize when I think about departing from this earth I'll be leaving them all behind grieving for me to live is to be in the best of health but to die is to lose my life without it for me to live is to read and learn and understand but realize that to die means no longer uh, means it no longer has any purpose. For me to live is to enjoy my comfortable life, but realise that to die is to lose it all. I'm sure you get the idea. None of these things are necessarily bad in themselves, but to die, but to die is gain doesn't fit with any of them. So what should we do? What what should we also focus on that will delight us, that will bring us real joy throughout our lives here on earth and when our time on earth has finished too? Making the world's goals our primary focus without living for Christ leads to loss. So our focus is vitally important. And that's where the Apostle Paul had a single clear focus his passion was Christ he was consumed with Christ living to represent him and telling others about him his understanding was for me to live is to glorify Christ in my life and if I die while I'm doing so it will glorify him it will be a gain for me because if it will bring a close to my whole life of service for him. Not only will I be in the presence of my Lord and Master, but people have been hearing of God's amazing love for them, and responding to it, and more are being drawn to worship and glorify God themselves. And I think we can have a focus a bit like that when we're living our lives in our society death is the most dreaded event efforts are made to prolong even if just for another month or even less however as we live within god's redeeming love the challenge of death has a different eternal outcome and with god's love comfort despite it i know when My own mother was killed in a car crash. Well, we don't know whether she was killed in the car crash or she died before it. But we were chuckling a little bit knowing she loved the Lord and she was actually on her way to a funeral and we could picture her in heaven with the the woman who died and saying, well, guess where I was going when uh, I came to join you. When we read what Paul wrote to the Ephesians, we'll see why he was so content, believing that both life and death had excellent options for him. In verse 3 he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul's focus was on the Lord of glory. He understood something about God far more profoundly than we do. So what was it? What does it mean he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? You see, God is to be praised and blessed because of the way he saved us, because of what was involved in saving us. Too often our problem is ourselves and our sins and our focus on our weaknesses rather than on focusing on what God has done. God means for us all to live and enjoy our lives appreciating what he has already done. We rob ourselves so much of the glories of his grace because we don't pay attention to it. So we're not drawn to praise and worship him as we should. Despite all he went through, the Apostle Paul understood something else, so dynamic that it buoyed him through all his challenges. In verse 1 we read, To all the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Here Paul is clearly writing to instruct and encourage each and every person who knew Jesus as their Saviour and Lord. Who would read his words if you aren't a Christian I believe God brought you here this morning or you're tuned in online and doing so for a purpose so I urge you to be asking him to reveal his amazing love to you too this scripture before us opens the door to reveal a position of Christians from the perspective Of God's eternal purpose have a look at verses 4 and 5 even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will our lives were planned before the foundation of the world does that encourage you that your life was planned and God knew you before the foundation of the world God designed us to live in harmony with him we're to worship him and enjoy him so did God make a mistake when we were learning Uad Bing language in Papua New Guinea and looking for the words good and holy, we asked if they knew of any, anyone who was seen to be different, an outstandingly good person. One person came to mind in their history and an older man who was still alive as well. But no they were not always completely perfect. It's just that they stood out from everyone else. We have no record of anyone since before Adam and Eve sinned who was perfect either. So perhaps expecting people to be sinless wasn't a reasonable expectation from the all-knowing God. When explaining the words, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. The late Reverend Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones suggested that before the creation of anything, there was a great eternal council held between the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. They made a covenant together. As they prepared to bring the world into existence to ensure the different tasks they knew would, would be needed were all carried out. Verse four tells us when this council took place. It was before creation. It says before the foundation of the world. And he went on to say that our salvation was planned before the world was even created. And the three persons of the Trinity were all concerned about it. Now that's something to praise God for. Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. We can be very thankful that counsel of the Godhead not only considered giving physical life to people, but also considered the necessity of our salvation too. So our redemption and salvation was planned. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't planned out of necessity after the fall. It certainly wasn't because God had high hopes for the people he created that were dashed. No, not at all. God foreknew and he planned for it. He planned to provide a rescue mission from the very beginning. God planned for your salvation and my salvation before the creation of the universe. How amazing is that? God planned all of this for us, people who he was about to create in his own likeness and place on this itsy-witsy planet Earth before he even created that speck, this speck, and placed it in the universe. Have you seen Louis Giglio's film, Indescribable? And he's talking about space. And then I remember this screen and he blew it up and he said, you see that little speck of dust there? That's planet Earth. Makes you feel very small. And yet our amazing God chose us and put us there because he had a purpose in his plan. Martin Lloyd-Jones continues with how he understood it might have been at that council. The different persons of the Godhead took up different roles and different tasks. The father planned it all. He was thinking through all that will be. The son volunteers and says he is going to do it, and he came and did it. And the Holy Spirit says, I will apply it. And he's there the whole time keeping it going and furthering its purpose. Verses 4 to 6 reveal the Father's part. Verses 7 to 12 telleth the Son's part. And verses 13 to 14, the Holy Spirit's part. They're all involved. And at the end of each section, we find in verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. And in verses 12 and 14, to the praise of his glory. They drew up a great covenant. Perhaps it was called the covenant of grace or the covenant of redemption. And then everything was in place for the people he was about to create in his own image. Have you noticed that as we transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament... There's a change in God's identity. Paul says, blessed be, the fa- blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Was that just a phrase that he used, or is it perhaps more than that? Jesus told us, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So it's a revelation about God. In the Old Testament, God is described as the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob or as the God of Israel. But now he's referred to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why the change? Well, all our blessings come to us through our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. This is so because of the outworking of the covenant made between the Godhead Before the foundation of the world. And all the blessings are available to us only when we're in Christ. We read of blessings that came to the Old Testament saints. Those blessings also came through what the son had contracted to do. As his part of the covenant before the foundation of the earth. In the covenant drawn up he volunteered to make himself responsible For fallen mankind he contracted to do certain things and God the Father on his side contracted to do other things God the Father said he would grant forgiveness and restoration a new life and a new nature to all who are covered by his son on condition the son would come into the world and take human nature upon himself take the sin of mankind upon himself And bear its punishment. Stand for them and suffer them and represent them. What astounding love that shows us that God has and has for you and me. The covenant between the Father and the Son was made for all mankind before the foundation of the world, and we saw God communicating its outworking through the Old Testament too. You see, God was able to tell Adam right at the start there in Genesis about it in the Garden of Eden when he addressed the serpent, telling it that the offspring of the woman would crush its head. God also made covenants with Noah, Abraham and Moses to meet certain eventualities. They weren't the ultimate covenant, but each pointed forward to the ultimate eternal covenant God made with the Son. Throughout the Old Testament, in the Psalms, in Job, in the life of King David, in Daniel and the prophets, in the time before Jesus physically came to earth and fulfilled his earthly role, God's people both grasped and looked forward to a sure hope with him in eternity. So now we see why Paul writes the God and Father, for our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. He's praising God who before time and before the world began knew our predicament and entered into this tremendous unthinkable agreement with his own son who pledged himself, committing himself to carry it out so that those who God has chosen and given to him would one day be in glory with him. That's why everything is in Christ. Christ Jesus is our representative, he's our mediator, he's our guarantor. He's the only channel between people and God. So all of God's promises for each of us are channeled through him. You have been chosen by God. Everything meaningful for your eternal life is in Christ. Every blessing and benefit God promises you is in Christ. If you are not in Christ, you have nothing of him. But that sort of thinking is anathema to the world and why you and I don't fit well in this place. Without the Saviour, there's no salvation, so no Christianity And now this blessed second person of the Trinity is at the right hand of God, interceding for you and me. What does in Christ mean? In verses 7 to 17, we're told that through Jesus Christ, we've been redeemed. That is, Jesus paid the price to cover the penalty for our sin through his death on the cross. He gives us wisdom and understanding as we ask him and wait expectantly for his response. He accomplished everything necessary for our eternal welfare because he is so generous and merciful. He did so purposely because it's a part of God's great plan which you and I have been invited to participate in. Verse 13 tells us, That when you heard the good news and believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, which we are told is the deposit of our inheritance. And in effect, until we go to glory and can redeem that inheritance of life in God's presence forever, that he's prepared for us. How will you respond? Do you understand now why Paul says, for me to live is Christ? And to die is gain. How wonderful it would be to have Christ so part of our lives that we share the same focus, knowing that God will provide care for our responsibilities when He calls us home. To understand in our being that God called us by name before He created the world and has prepared everything for us to be able to spend the rest of eternity or spend the rest of our life on earth walking with him and throughout eternity too. If you're here this morning and you haven't known or realised Jesus' incredible love for you, perhaps this all seems to make no sense. God doesn't shut out people who long to get to know him. The Apostle John wrote, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the passage we've considered today, wrote in Romans 10.13, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If God is stirring you to find out more, to know him and understand all he has for you, pause today to ask God to reveal himself to you. And if you're genuine, he will do so. For each of us who has responded to God's incredible love, as we live out our lives day by day, wherever God has us working, or however he has us engaged in life, I encourage you to be looking to God to draw your enjoyment from him, knowing that you were called and chosen before the foundation of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty, wonderful God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, thank you for your incredible love revealed to us through Jesus. Thank you for planning everything that was needed and making a covenant together before you created the world so you didn't have to destroy everything and start again because you are holy and we are caught up in sin and not perfect as Jesus was. Thank you for Jesus' life and death. Thank you for choosing us and giving us the opportunity to respond to you. Thank you for the Bible and for inspiring those who wrote it throughout the centuries, in it inspiring your servants throughout the Old and New Testament periods to write, to pass on the truth and the power of the Gospel to us. Lord God, would you so work in us to enable us to live and enjoy you, trusting your goodness, your forgiveness and the promise you made so that we are able to look forward with the Apostle Paul to spending eternity with you. We ask it because you are a good God. In Jesus' name. Amen.